Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. I think uh, I'm able to just uh, really make sense of the context in this story. We need to read verses 1 through 14. So John chapter 6, 1 through 14. Stand with us. Uh, Don't forget tonight is our evening service. 6 o'clock is our pre-service prayer time in the prayer room. Come and join us. And then 6.30 is our evening service. God God bless you. We're looking forward to you being here. Praise the Lord. John chapter 6, 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee which is the sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were uh, diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain. There he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. How many know Christ always knows what he's going to do? Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men uh, sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, notice this verse, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Gather up the fragments, a.k.a., everybody say this word with me, leftovers. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come unto the world. Father, thank you, Lord, that uh, in your knowledge you always know what to do. And Lord, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We all could uh, be a testimony of that today, and I pray we are. Bless us now as we uh, look at this passage, and Lord, apply its truths to our hearts. In Jesus' name, all God's people say amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you for a few minutes. The law of the leftovers. It's probably the most predictable sermon topic I could share this Sunday after Thanksgiving. Because uh, 
I was thinking this week, without question, I would say Thanksgiving is uh, my favorite meal of the year. Um, my wife does an incredible job uh, preparing always more than enough. And so, uh, more than any other meal, uh, I enjoy the Thanksgiving meal. And, and I partake of it to the glory of God. <laughs> right? Hey, Scripture says, whatever you do, and that's eat. Eat to the glory of God, right? Your Thanksgiving menu may differ, may differ from ours. But there's usually one thing we all would probably have in common, and that's leftovers, right? Does anybody have any leftovers? Don't worry, I'm not going to come and eat them. I don't know what leftovers mean in your house, but in ours, leftovers are a sign that everybody got all they could eat. At our house, leftovers mean that nobody went away hungry. It meant that there's still enough for later, right? Make a turkey sandwich. Yeah. At our house, leftovers means there's even plenty to give away. So before you leave, get a take-home box, right? Well, the same idea is demonstrated in the life of this little boy here in our text who witnessed a miracle that Christ performed one day that I'm sure this boy never forgot. Never forgot. Now, let's back up. Let's create a framework for this miracle because when Christ came onto the scene in the New Testament, I think there was two things that immediately got people's attention. Number one, the truth that he taught and then the miracles he performed. The central truth of Christ's teaching that fascinated people was his preaching about the kingdom of God. That's what got the Jews' attention. Because that's what the Jews were hungering for. They wanted God's kingdom to come. They wanted the Roman kingdom to be over. So Christ spoke about the kingdom of God, but he did not just teach about the kingdom of God. He demonstrated the kingdom of God through what we call miracles. And before the time of Christ, there were miracles. There's miracles recorded in the Old Testament. But by and large, in relation to the New Testament, it was relatively few. But when Christ came, I don't know how to explain it other than that he caused an explosion of miracles. Would that be fair to say? So much so that people, they just gathered around him just hoping to see him perform a miracle. And so today we're looking at one of the more famous miracles that he performed because what he did in this miracle, I want you to know, 
he wants to and can still do in our lives today. Every one of us has in our possession things that Christ literally can do miraculous things with. So, the law of the leftovers is this. Here it is. God adds to what he subtracts from me so he can multiply and divide it for maximum blessing. Let me say that again. God adds to what he subtracts from me so he can multiply and divide divide it for maximum blessing. The key takeaway is simply when I bless others, I receive the greatest blessing. Right? And I want us to observe four, about four steps here that puts this law into effect, so to speak. So number one, and this is step number one is important because it's, it's acknowledging the fact that number one, Christ will ask us for something we have. Okay? He's not going to ask us for something we don't have. He asked this little boy for something he, he had. And so of all the miracles that Christ performed, this miracle is one of the more special ones, I would say, because it's the only miracle that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record. That's notable. Think about it. Of all the miracles that Christ performed, as great as they were, the only miracle that every single gospel writer felt they were to include in their gospel was this one. So this miracle is unique, right? Wouldn't you say? It is the only time Christ ever asked for somebody's advice on what to do. That's another point that makes it unique. The only time Christ ever asked somebody's advice on what to do. And then another point is, of all the miracles that Christ performed, this one was seen by more people than any other of his miracles. So I have to admit, of all the miracles that Christ performed, this one would probably make my top three list of ones that I wish I could have seen. I think uh, the other two would have been, they were all great, but I mean, I'd like to have seen Lazarus raised. How many would say, yeah, I'd like to have been there? And then I, I was thinking, I'd like to have seen him walk on water. That's just phenomenal. So this is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And in, the, and in each recording, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit mentions the leftovers. Knowing that God always works with an end game in mind... I don't believe that's by accident. And the fact is, Christ made these leftovers on purpose. Because how many in here agree that he could have produced the exact quantity needed to feed the multitude? You think that's... So that makes us believe he intended... For there to be valuable leftovers. Now some of you might not find that very attractive because you just don't care for leftovers. But regardless of how you feel about leftovers, growing up in our house, 
it was leftovers or you may go without. Right? And I found out growing up, man, spaghetti gets better every time it's warmed up. Right? So I believe Christ intended there to be these leftovers. And therefore he says, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. And we find that there was 12 baskets, and perhaps since there was 12 baskets of, of leftovers, I don't know. We're not told with what they did. Christ could have had the 12 disciples carry a basket and follow that little boy home, knock on his door and say, hey, this is, this is groceries for a week. Mom may have been okay with that. Mom wouldn't have had to cook, Right? Right? Any of you moms got enough leftovers to last a week? Just kidding. Whether that was the case or not, it is certain that Christ did not want these fragments wasted. Now, Christ has always proved himself to be the God of what I call more than enough. Is anybody, anybody glad that he's the God of more than enough? Okay, so as you get into this story, Matthew tells us that it was evening time when this miracle took place. Maybe around 6 o'clock, they, they, uh, they believe, 6 o'clock in the evening, the sun was uh, starting to set. And I mean, they're way out in the country and, and uh, you know, it was, it was Passover time. So it was a well-known feast of the Jews. So they kind of had food on their mind, Okay. They didn't, now they're out in the country, they didn't have a giant eagle, they didn't have a save-a-lot, they didn't have all these. They didn't even have Walmart super centers. They didn't have Chick-fil-A, they didn't have Taco Bell, they didn't even have good old Bob Evans. Right? So a crisis is brewing, the sun is setting, evening is approaching, stomachs are growling, and that's where this story gets interesting. In verse 10, we're told the men alone numbered about 5,000. Now, Matthew tells us in his account that there was also women and children. Now, when you take into account the size of families then, scholars estimate that crowd could possibly reach 20,000 people. Easy, 20 to 25. Now, imagine you are the disciple Philip, and Christ turns to you and says... Where are you going to buy enough food to feed this crowd? Now, if I had been Philip and Christ asked me that question, I would have kind of felt like Tonto when he and the Lone Ranger were suddenly surrounded by 20,000 Indians. And the Lone Ranger looked at Tonto and said, What are we going to do? Tonto replied, what do you mean we, Kimosabi? But you got to understand, this really wasn't a question. It was a test. That's what the verse says. Christ already knew what he was going to do. He was testing Philip. And from 6, verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 6, we 
we should remember that anytime Christ asks us for anything that we have, it is never just a request. It is always a test. And he's asking us this question, do you trust me? Do you trust me or not? Christ is about to reveal the biggest problem that Philip and the rest of the disciples were facing. And the biggest problem was not that the crowd couldn't get enough food. No, the biggest problem was Philip didn't have enough faith. Now we come to the second part of the law of the leftovers. And it's point number two. So first we said Christ is going to ask us for something we have. And number two, we should give Christ what he asks for. Philip did what we so often do when God asks for something that we don't think we can do. We come up with all kinds of reasons we can't. Notice in verse 7. Jesus didn't ask how, he asked where. And here's another thing to remember whenever Christ asks us something, he already knows it can be done. And he knows how it can be done. But Philip gets out his calculator. Maybe his calculator on his iPhone. And figures out that it would take about eight months wages of an average worker of that day to buy enough food for that evening's potluck. And that's just for everybody to get a little bit. He thinks about it and has every reason in the world why he cannot give what Christ is asking for. First, there was no place to buy that much food. Second, even if there was a place to buy it, they didn't have enough money to pay for it. Third, even if there was a place to buy it and they had the money to pay for it, there wasn't enough time to go get it. And fourth, even if there was enough time, everybody would only get a little bit. So Philip is thinking, for the first time in my life, or for the first time in your life, Lord, I've stumped you. How many times have we all figured out a reason we can't give God what he's asking for? Right? Maybe it's tithe. Oh, I can't afford that. I can't even afford to pay my bills. You want me to give a missions offering, Lord? I can't do that. I've got wife. I've got children. You want me to take a missions trip? Why? I might, I might get eaten by a giant mosquito. You want me to share my testimony with someone? I can't share Jesus with anybody. I, I'm, I might stutter. I might mess up. I might. I'm too shy. I don't know enough. I am convinced that what bothered Christ was not the lack of food, but the lack of faith. Right? A lack of food never stops God. But a lack of faith will stop him dead in his tracks. It's amazing that Christ did many miracles in many places, but there was one place he didn't hardly do any miracles. And of all places, it was his hometown. Matthew 13, 58, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So just think about what Philip has already seen. He's already seen Christ turn water into wine. That was the very first miracle Christ performed. He's seen Christ heal a sick man's son. He has seen Christ give a paralyzed man the ability to walk again. He's seen Christ 
of all kinds. And Philip still doesn't get it. He's still using his calculator. He's still pinching pennies, counting nickels, when all the time he didn't understand that he was not to be the source of the provision. When Christ asks us for bread, remember this, we don't make the bread, we just serve it. We are the waiters. He is the baker. So poor Philip flunks this test. And I probably would have too, just to be honest. But I want to read 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9 again. Can we go back there? One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here, which hath five barley loaves, two small fishes. So Andrew, overhearing this conversation with, between Christ and Philip, finds a little boy who has brought his own dinner. It was just enough for him to eat. At least that is what it looks like. Now, if you focus on this little boy for a moment, even though all four Gospels include this miracle, only John is the one that tells us about the little boy who had this sack and had done what everybody else in the crowd should have done. He had brought enough to feed himself. Five loaves of bread and two fish may sound like a lot to you, but this was actually the meal of a poor boy. Five loaves may sound like a lot, but it's not like a loaf of bread like you go and buy in the store today. What is in the Greek here is actually referred to a flat, brittle wafer. Actually about the size of a mini pancake. Okay? So you've got just some mini pancakes, and the word for fish here refers to fish like sardines. Mmm. My wife hates sardines. I can't even open a can in the house. And so Andrew's right. What the little boy has was just a little lunch. Poor boy's lunch. Oh, but what made that little lunch a big lunch is what that little boy did with that lunch. When Christ asked for it, he gave it to him. That's where the miracle starts. At that moment, the most valuable thing to... 20,000 people and 12 disciples was a little boy's lunch because that's all the food there was. And what made that little boy's lunch so valuable was one thing, it was available. It was available for one reason, because that little boy was willing to give what Christ asked for. Somehow that little boy understood what the disciples didn't get, and this wasn't a request to this little boy. It was a test for this little boy. Now, what the disciples flunked, this little boy passed. He got an A+. There was a little boy, I, I remember reading this week, and it got into a big argument with his sister about who was going to get the last brownie. 
Mom heard them fussing, comes in the kitchen to resolve their argument, and so she's got her two kids. They're about to come to blows because they both wanted the last brownie, and so Mom's seeing this as a teachable moment, looks at her two kids and says, now what would Jesus do? And the little boy piped up and said, that's easy. He would bless and break this brownie and bring 5,000 more from it. Before we go any further, think about this. Did Jesus really need that little boy's lunch to feed these people? Absolutely not. If Christ had wanted to, he could have turned stones into bread enough to feed them. He could have made fish jump out of the sea that was, they were beside. He could make fish jump right into their laps. When Christ asks for something, it's not because he needs what we have. It's because we need to give what he asks so we can learn to trust him. Amen. Watch this. When we take that step of faith, we give Christ what he asks for. Then we see the third part of this law go into effect. And number three is Christ will use what we give him. Look at verses 10 and 11. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were sat down. And likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. So the disciples already think that Christ has totally lost his mind. But then he does something really outrageous. He gives thanks. I don't know what he said in that Thanksgiving prayer, but I am sure he thanked God for the little boy. I'm sure he thanked God for the little boy's faith. I'm sure he thanked God for the little boy's food and and sure that he thanked God for the opportunity to demonstrate this law that we call the law of leftovers. What we are seeing is how God operates. Christ asks for what he wants. We should give Christ what he asks for. He will then use what we give him for the glory of God. Now, are you ready for this? God loves to use, say it with me, little things. Big God loves to use, praise God, Not that God can't use big things, but he loves to use the little things because that is when he gets the greatest glory. And that's when he grows our faith the most. You may think what you have to give to God is insignificant. You may think it really doesn't matter, but some of the greatest things that God ever uses are... Little things. Think of all the little things God used in Scripture to accomplish bigger, unbelievable things. Moses takes a shepherd's rod and parts the Red Sea. Right? David takes a shepherd's sling, slays a giant. The widow just gives the widow's might. A young poverty-stricken teenage girl named Mary. God uses her to birth his son into the world. God uses a faith the size of a what? Mustard seed. Do you know that what really determines the value of something? It is whose hands it's put in. 
<laughs> you can buy a Major League Baseball on Amazon. What are they, 12 to $15? And you can put that baseball in my hands, and it's worth 10 or, well, if you bought it for 12 I hope it stays 12 <laughs> Right? But if you put that ball in the hands of a top-shelf Major League pitcher, that baseball is worth millions. Right? What made that little boy's lunch so valuable was not how big it was, but whose hands he put it in. Newsflash, the only things we have that is of great value are the things we're willing to place in God's hands. Praise God. I don't know about you, but I want to stay in the hands of God. And here's my last point. Christ always blesses what he uses. Look at verses 12 through 13. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fire. And they gathered up 12 baskets. Nobody in this huge crowd wanted another bite. Yet there's still 12 baskets left over. These are not just small baskets. Baskets in the Greek here mean large, heavy this boy had enough leftovers to start a super supermarket, roadside stand, whatever. Do you know why this miracle is so important to you and me? It's because that little boy is you and is me. We all have resources in our possession. We all have talents and abilities and time that God is asking us for. That little boy could have kept that lunch to himself and fed himself, but everybody else would have gone hungry. Because that little boy trusted Christ and gave him what he asked for, Christ used what he gave him and blessed it to meet others and bless others. May we remember that this little boy gave all of his lunch to the Lord because Christ asked for all of his lunch. He didn't say, Lord, you can have one fish, but I'll keep the other one. You take three of these loaves and I'll keep the other two. No, he gave Jesus everything he asked for. Praise God. So you say, what's the lesson? Okay, glad you asked. I'll conclude. If we want to experience the law here that's at work, the law of the leftovers, if we want to add, if we want God to add to what he subtracts from us and multiply it and divide it so it can be a blessing to others, we have to give him everything. Church, we've got to give him everything. If we want to experience salvation and, and spiritual life to its fullness, if we want to know what it's like to benefit from this law of the leftovers, then we have to quit hiding our lunch, quit acting like what we have is so small and insignificant. The only thing that gives life meaning and purpose is what we give back to Jesus. Praise God. Think about how many men, women were on this hillside. Can you name even one of them? No. Here 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the little boy though. Because the one who really got blessed that day wasn't the crowd. Oh yeah, they, they got a meal. The one that really got blessed 
the one that really got that biggest blessing was that little boy. Wouldn't you have loved to be there when he walked into the house that evening and his mom asked him, how'd it go with Jesus today? He said, mom, you should have been there. He took my lunch that you packed for me and fed 20,000 people. His mom looked at him and said, son, I'm sorry. I know you're hungry, but we've got nothing to eat. I sent it all with you. The little boy opened the door and said, mom, don't worry. I've got plenty of leftovers. Oh, I got plenty of leftovers. That little boy gave his entire lunch to Christ, but wound up with more to eat by giving Christ everything he had than he would have eaten if he had kept it all to himself. How do you explain that? It's the law of the leftovers. Christ asks for what he wants. We should give him what he asks for. He uses what we give him, and he blesses it when he uses it. Praise God. Aren't you glad, church, there's not a problem we have that Christ can't solve? You just got to get the problem in the right place. The right place is in the hands of God. There's not a hunger we have that Christ can't satisfy. There's not a need we have that Christ cannot meet. There's not a hurt we have that Christ cannot heal. There's not a question we have that Christ cannot answer. You just got to get it to the right person. Give it to him. You might need to give him your marriage. You might need to give him your time, your talents, your love. Give him your life. When you do, you will find so many others will be blessed. You'll enjoy the leftovers. Amen? Somebody say, I'm going to give him everything. Stand with me. I'm done. Give Jesus everything. How many can say, I remember the day I surrendered to Jesus. I remember the day I gave him everything. Thank you, Jesus. Father, here today, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story that you've included in all the Gospels to teach us such important truths. God, if there's one here that has not surrendered everything to you, Father, this is the day. This is the moment of full surrender. This is the time to give everything. He gave it all, and Christ blessed it. So here this morning, Lord, you know the heart condition. You know the condition of our emotions and our minds. I pray that we have invited you in every part of our life. God, if there's anyone here that's been holding out, restricting you from their relationship or their finances or their homes. I pray, God, that they would just totally surrender. Young or older, God, I pray you're working in their lives and you just use this feeble thought I've shared this morning to encourage them, to, to prompt them, to inspire them, to put it in your hands. We'll give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 
I give you everything, all that I am, everything. These altars are open. Won't you take a moment? You say, I've given the Lord everything. Why don't you come and just solidify that surrender? Maybe you're here this morning. You've been holding out. I want you to just come. Lay it in the hands of Jesus. Lay that need, lay that opportunity for a miracle in the hands of Christ. Maybe you're standing in for a lost loved one. Maybe it's a prodigal son or daughter. Come and put them in the hands of Christ again. Keep them in the hands of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I believe you'll go home blessed. Yes, you will. Hallelujah.